I bring you an introduction to poetry by my favorite poet, Billy Collins. I ask them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide, or press an ear against its hive. I say, drop a mouse in a, into a poem and watch him probe his way out, or walk inside a poem's room and feel the walls for the light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. We've been exploring wise view, first in the uh, Eightfold Path. I don't think that'll sit there well. And then last week we explored wise intention. You have to get down beneath the layers to find it. And now we're going to talk about wise speech, words and all the other ways we communicate Put that there so you can see it maybe better. So we're going to give ourselves over to poetry as a form of wise speech. Poetry does not need to be stuffy or inaccessible. Think of it as a fine distillation. Less is more. So instead of a single sermon, I'm going to introduce several poems that are clustered by, by categories that come from the reported teachings of the Buddha. You have, in your order of service, the words that the Buddha said about what wise speech is. He listed five traits. And actually, they create a really high bar for healthy communication. Uh, since I've been pondering it, I find I have been much quieter. <laughs> Holding my thoughts when I'm paying attention to this list. And oh my gosh, the world would be transformed by applying them to our daily lives. So the poems that you're gonna hear come from suggestions by the congregation. And many who propose the poem are gonna read them. And actually some, we have wonderful poets in our congregation and some poets are gonna read their own work. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this hour of song, silence, and words. So to claim what we're doing together, I bring a poem by Puerto Rican poet, activist, and translator Jack Agueros. Lord, it's not true that my faith is cooling. It's just the people are saying that candle smoke has caused cancer in church mice. And I also worry that candlelight is too weak to reach your cloud. Do I need a hydrogen candle? Are the angels into lasers? Lord, as I think about it, 
Lately, I haven't had much to thank you for. Are you on vacation? <laughs> for our invocation, I bring words that Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead said in 1987. Harder to come sit and join me. I love lists and ways of remembering important details, and the Buddha teaches with lists, such as this five attributes of wise speech. You have the translated Pali scripture in your insert, along with the list of poems for this service. We couldn't figure out how to give you all the citations without having way too much paper. You can find them, Google them. <clears throat> the Buddha says, a statement that is well-spoken, not ill-spoken, blameless and unfaulted by knowledgeable people is spoken at the right time. Of course, timing is everything. As a supervisor, I've made such clumsy mistakes suggesting changes or new directions when one of the staff might be in the middle of a big project. For example, I suggested changes to the focus just as Molly was printing the newsletter, and I have to say it was unhelpful. <laughs> or closer to home, for a long stretch, as my husband Joe and I were cleaning up after a children's birthday party or some other celebration, he'd tell me what was wrong with the party. <laughs> His timing was dreadful. <laughs> I'd get very angry and bemoan loudly asking, why didn't you tell me what you preferred before we hosted the event? Luckily, he laughed yesterday <laughs> when he recalled this dynamic and gave me permission to share it here. He's gotten so much better. His timing is impeccable now. <laughs> but to be fair, it took me years, literally, no, literally decades, to stop trying to have an important or emotional conversation late at night with Joe. Unless pointing out the houses on fire, anything I wanted to discuss could wait. Could certainly wait until the next day, at a time when we weren't both exhausted. In my mind, what I had to say couldn't wait. Now I see, that's just a story I tell myself, and not at all true. As I age, my worry about forgetting has me offering non-sequiturs that are inconvenient to everyone, just so I can get whatever it is off my chest I'm afraid I'll forget. We need to clean the closets and the closet by the bathroom, the one by my office, by the way. <laughs> poems rely on timing within their, their structure. The next two poems explore the passage of time. Ada. Well, I discovered Kenneth Rexroth quite by accident. I don't even remember how, but he uh, has many beautiful poems. This is just one. <clears throat> Another Spring by Kenneth Rexroth. The seasons revolve and the years change with no assistance or supervision. The moon, without taking thought, moves in its cycle, full, crescent, and full. The white moon enters the heart of the river, 
the air is drugged with azalea blossoms. Deep in the night, a pine cone falls. Our campfire dies out in the empty mountains. The sharp stars flicker in the tremulous branches. The lake is black, bottomless in the crystalline night. High in the sky, the northern crown is cut in half by the dim summit of a snow peak. O oh, heart, heart so singularly intransigent and corruptible, here we lie entranced by the starlit water, and moments that should each last forever slide unconsciously by us like water. Many of my poems are short. <laughs> I was thinking about life as a school. The curriculum. Life doesn't break our hearts so much as we do. When I dodge a problem, blame someone, feel an inadequate, and don't try. Trying anyway risking failure, failing, and learning from the experience. It's all part of the curriculum. Hutterman Dilsaver and Joseph Rivers to come join me. So according to the Buddha, speech with integrity must contain truth. You know, this may be the trickiest demand. It's undervalued by public figures and increasingly in our culture. Much of what I immediately consider true upon closer examination is actually based on my opinions, colored by my experience, my DNA, my mood. For example, when I pass along information I get from others, I'm likely indulging in gossip or spreading very incomplete news. You know that old-fashioned telephone game of whispering one statement around a circle and finding out what comes becomes as it passes through a dozen people? You know, that's funny, yet real, not a metaphor. So we have four poems that look at the nature of truth and offer examples. The first one is from the Bell of Amherst, Emily Dickinson. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies too bright for our infirm delight. The truth's superb surprise as lightning to the children eased with explanation kind. The truth must dazzle gradually, or every man be blind. When important relationships fail, whether we be in middle school or middle age, we're left confused, disoriented, insecure. This poem, arising out of such a time for me, 
is a poem of perspective. Encouragement. Everyone is a cup of tea, just not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> This poem is A Song of Opposites by John Keats. It was a poem that was enjoyed in my family when I was young by my grandfather, who was an English teacher, and they taught it to me at a very young age, which I look back now as I would have learned it phonetically, and so now as I learn the words and the meaning, it, it adds new depth for me. A Song of Opposites begins with the quote from Milton, under the flag of each his faction, they to battle bring their embryon atoms. Welcome joy and welcome sorrow, Lethe's weed and Hermes feather, come today and come tomorrow, I do love you both together. I love to mark sad faces in fair weather and hear a merry laugh amid the thunder. Fair and foul I love together. Meadows sweet where flames are under and a giggle at a wonder. Visage sage at pantomime, funeral and steeple chime. Infant playing with a skull, morning fair and shipwreck tall. Nightshade with the woodbine kissing, serpents in red roses hissing, Cleopatra regal dressed with the aspect at her breast, dancing music, music sad, both together sane and mad, muses bright and muses pale, somber Saturn mama's hail, laugh and sigh and laugh again, oh the sweetness of the pain. Muses bright and muses pale, bear your faces of the veil. Let me see and let me write of the day and of the night, both together. Let me slake all my thirst for sweetheart ache. Let my bower be of you, interwreathed with myrtles new, pine and lime trees full in bloom, and my couch a low grass tomb. Because We Spilled Not Only Milk by Nancy Schaffer. Because we spill not only milk, not knocking it over with an elbow when we reach to wipe a small face, but also spill seed on soil we thought was fertile but isn't, and also spill whole lives and only later see in fading light how much is gone and we hadn't intended it. Because we tear not only cloth, thinking to find a true edge, and instead making only a hole, but also tear friendships when we grow, and whole mountainsides, because we are so many, and we want to live right where black oaks lived, once very quietly and still. Because we forget not only what we are doing in the kitchen, 
and have to go back to the room we were in before. Remember why it was we left. But also forget entire lexicons of joy and how we lost ourselves for hours. Yet all that time were, were clearly found and held and also forget the hungry not at our table. Because we weep not only at jade plants caught in the freeze and precious papers left in rain, but also at legs that no longer walk or never did, although from the outside they look like most others, and also weep at words said once as though they might be rearranged, but which once loose refuse to return, and we are helpless. Because we are imperfect and love so deeply, we never will have enough days. We need the gift of starting over, beginning again, just this constant good, this saving hope. I call forward Larry Sharp. You, come on down. There's a saying in Vietnamese, it doesn't cost anything to have loving speech. So this third trait of wise speech are words spoken affectionately. You know, they need not be direct words of love like the Shakespeare sonnet we're about to hear. Affectionate speech means language that doesn't harm or shame or oppress or belittle. We all have experience of words that cause us to shrink inside. Not all speech is spoken. We must mind our emails, our texts, even our emojis, mind our raised eyebrows, clicked tongues, to use communication affectionately with loving kindness is to practice generosity. Sonnet 116. Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove. Oh, no. It is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark whose worth's unknown, although his height be taken. Love's not time's fool, Though rosy lips and cheeks within his bending sickle's compass come, love alters not with his brief hours and weeks, but bears it out even to the edge of doom. If this be error, and upon me proved, I never writ nor no man ever loved.
This next poem is, um, is my gift of love to all fathers on this Father's Day. And I just want you to know a little bit about Lee Young Lee. He's from Indonesia. He's born of a lineage of Chinese political exiles. But again, they then had to flee anti-Chinese sentiment in Jakarta, settling in the US. To pull the, mental, the metal splinter from my palm, my, fa my father recited a poem in a low voice. I watched his lovely face and not the blade. Before the story ended, he'd removed this iron sliver I thought I'd die from. I can't remember the tale, but hear his voice still, a well of dark water, a prayer. And I recall his hands, two measures of tenderness he laid against my face, the flames of discipline raised above my head. Had you entered that afternoon, you would have thought you saw a man planting something in a boy's palm, a silver tear, a tiny flame. Had you followed that boy, you would have arrived here where I bend over my wife's right hand. Look how I shave her thumbnail down so carefully, she feels no pain. Watch as I lift the splinter out. I was seven when my father took my hand like this, and I did not hold that shard between my fingers and think, metal that will bury me, Christen it, little assassin, or going deep for my heart. And I did not lift up my wound and cry, death visited here. I did what a child does when he's given something to keep. I kissed my father. So I call forward Annie Simpson, Gerald Carter, and Rick Eagleton. So the ongoing education of this minister by each of you has helped me refine what speech is beneficial. I'm like any parent who wrestles with what to say and whether to say anything. What is truly beneficial? I joke that the most useless words a parent ever utters is, be careful. <laughs> it's the most vague, non-specific instruction. And yet, I teased my children and explained I was required to say it when I signed on the dotted line on the becoming a parent contract. Beneficial conversations involve paying attention to context. Does this person, no matter their age, need to hear what I'm about to say. If advice, what are my words really about? Proving I'm right, maybe? Avoiding fear or shame? Often they're more about the speaker than the listener. Oh, you just got a diagnosis. I'm so sorry. 
let me tell you about my brother-in-law who just went through a round of chemo, radiation, surgery. What an ordeal. He struggled for years. Oh, and he just died last February. That's beneficial. Carefully considering the value of your words dis disrupts mindless, idle chatter. Silence is okay. These next poems embody insights into humankind and living that are beneficial. And I'll start off with the woman we like to consider the Unitarian poet, Mary Oliver. There are moments that cry out to be fulfilled, like telling someone you love them or giving all your money away, all of it. Your heart is beating, isn't it? You're not in chains, are you? There is nothing more pathetic than caution when headlong might save a life, even possibly your own. The poem I chose, one of them, is To Be of Use by Marge Piercy. And I think about this poem actually as I'm driving to a board meeting or a committee meeting, and then I often think of it in the meeting. <laughs> the people I love best jump into work head first without dallying in the shadows and swim off with shore strokes almost out of sight. They seem to become natives of that element, the, sleek, the black sleek heads of seals bouncing like half-submerged balls. I love people who harness themselves, an ox to a heavy cart, who pull like water buffalo with massive patience, who strain in the mud and the muck to move things forward, who do what has to be done again and again. I want to be with people who submerge in the task, who go into the fields to harvest and work in a row and pass the bags along, who are not parlor generals and field deserters, but who move in a common rhythm when the food must come in or the fire be put out. The work of the world is common as mud. Botched, it smears the hands, crumbles to dust. But the thing worth doing well done has a shape that satisfies, clean and evident. Greek amorphas for wine or oil, Hopi vases that held corn are put in museums, but you know they were made to be used. Uh, the pitcher cries for water to carry and a person for work that is real. Another short one. I'm too often uh, seemingly the seemingly helpless victim of cable news. This is a reminder to take a longer view. Aztecs. Watching the world sail on by, the bullies bullying to their grave, help us all to survive them. The earth keeps on spinning regardless. We, or at least some of us, will outlast them. The Aztecs are still here, plowing their cornfields in the shadows of overgrown pyramids. 
literary critic Lionel Trilling said to those attending Robert Frost's 85th birthday celebration that Frost is a terrifying poet. Frost's few words lay bare the dark inner landscape which, re which resides in us all so we may face it. Stopping by woods on a snowy evening. Whose woods these are? I think I know. His house is in the village though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near. Between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there has, is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. But I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. For this final set of poems, I call Elizabeth Obel forward. Annie Simpson's going to stay here. And in your order of service, you know, we do think of poems as these precious little fussy things, and then, oh, I'm not a poet, I can't use words, but I've given you some not really silly um, technique for taking a page and crossing out or just circling the words that are important and making your own poem. So the last on the Buddhist checklist for wise speech explores the intent of the speaker or writer. It asks each one of us to look deeply at the recipient of our words. When we maintain a sense of goodwill, we're more likely to be motivated to speak what would be helpful as opposed to what's idle or self-serving. Consider the Buddhist premise that each person is doing the best they can. We're all trying to avoid suffering and trying to seek happiness, all of us. Sure, sometimes. Due to ignorance, people go about life in deluded and harmful ways, but in general, in general, people don't set out to be evil. They see themselves as good, or at least as trying to be good. Your message will be more likely to get across if your speech in some way appeals to the other person's better nature. So these poems assume the best of us as recipients of their wisdom. The Orange by Wendy Cope. At lunchtime, I bought a huge orange. The size of it made us all laugh. I peeled it and shared it with Robert and Dave. They got quarters and I got a half. 
And that orange, it made me so happy, as ordinary things often do. Just lately, the shopping, a walk in the park, this is peace and contentment. It's new. The rest of the day was quite easy. I did all the jobs on my list and enjoyed them and had some time over. I love you. I'm glad I exist. Passengers by Billy Collins. I'm sure everyone has sat in an airplane gate and maybe had these same thoughts. At the gate, I sit in a row of blue seats with the possible company of my death. This sprawling miscellany of people, carry-on bags and backpacks that could be gathered in a flash into a band of pilgrims on the last open road. Not that I think if our plane crumpled into a mountain, we would all ascend together, holding hands like a ring of skydivers into a sudden gasp of brightness, or that there would be some commonplace for us to reunite to jubilize the moment, some spaceless, pillarless grease where we could, at the count of three, toss our ashes into the sunny air. It's just that the way that man has his briefcase so carefully arranged, the way that girl is cooling her tea, and the flow of the comb that woman passes through her daughter's hair. And when you consider the altitude, the secret parts of engines, and all the hard water and deep canyons below, well, I just think it would be good if one of us maybe stood up and said a few words, or, so as not to involve the police, at least quietly wrote something down. And our last poem, famous. The river is famous to the fish. The loud voice is famous to silence, which knew it would inherit the earth before anybody said so. The cat sleeping on the fence is famous to the birds watching him from the birdhouse. The tear is famous, briefly, to the cheek the idea you carry close to your bosom is famous to your bosom. The boot is famous to the earth, more famous than the dress shoe, which is famous only to floors. The bent photograph is famous to the one who carries it, and not all famous to the one who is pictured. I want to be famous to shuffling men who smile while crossing streets, Sticky children in grocery lines, famous as the one who smiled back. I want to be famous in the way a pulley is famous, or a buttonhole. Not because it did anything spectacular, but because it never forgot what it could do. <laughs> 